So let's um, pick up a few questions, topics. Someone's asking about uh, stream entry. Um, don't have so much time for retreat and um, wishes to be when to enter a stream somewhere. <laughs> So this is one of those things that's been sort of in the Buddhist lists of which there are many. We like lists. We worship lists. And one of the lists we have is these kind of different kinds of levels of realization. You mentioned this in here. The four kinds of persons. And um, so it's a person who's you know, practicing and someone who's realized stream entry is considered a level of realization has happened. Um, and so, what this means essentially is that certain fundamental, um, what are called fetters, fetters, chain, links, locks, blocks, have been released. And these all amount to the personality. And what the personality structure uh, does by itself. <laughs> so it tends to cling to systems and customs to feel secure. So these are times of day, routines, um, it tends to find security or try to find security in, in external structures, customs. Um, and uh, it, it, it isolates. It's always bound up with itself, isolates. And uh, so then it also experiences a lot of lack of confidence in Dhamma. How do I do this? How do I get in? What should I do? What will I be? How can I be? What was I? Am I? Will I be? Why am I? Or am I not? So this is the person who's not realized dream entry has these kinds of experiences. Uh, where's the system that's going to get me liberated? Where's the technique to follow so that I can be a stream mentor? And where is it? Where's the, where's the, how can I get one? <laughs> and these are kind of things that occur for people. So we have to work with that. And so the way that we work with this is the, the, so. So the stream enterer, it doesn't sound that is someone who has completely gives themselves to Buddha Dhamma Sangha. They take confidence in that. And the stream arises, it's where the stream arises in the heart. The stream of, so it's a stream of confidence uh, arises in the heart. So they trust, they have something they can trust. 
they can let themselves go into, they can release themselves into their personality, see something there that they can trust and it just begins to, oh, you don't need to have it all right, you don't need to get the right thing, you don't need to be constantly worrying about yourself, you don't need to try to be something, you don't need to keep kind of fiddling with yourself in this way, just trust the stream. And one of the signs of this is, uh, you know, a kind of very accessible actually, is the five precepts. So someone who feels completely into the five precepts, it doesn't mean just that you follow the rules, but that you really sense and feel very comfortable and very much attuned to, sort of really in your heart to the quality of harmlessness. Mm. Harmlessness and uh, non-exploitation uh, in any respect, non-exploiting others sexually, verbally, you know, non-abuse. Uh, and, uh, you know, the kind of what we call the useless thinking, you're always thinking about yourself, what you want, what you need, what you should have, what you can't have, why do people like this, this kind of stuff. And shut up, go away. That's not, you know, that's, you're stirring you in the wrong, you know, the mind is doing the wrong thing. So in a way it's a, why it's a stream entry, it's, a, it's coming out of the personal vortex, personal vortex where his mind spins around, why am I, what can I, how will I be, what will I be, what do I have to do in order to be, it's totally self-obsessed um, and sometimes it's not that strong but it's doing those kinds of things and so the stream entering someone just Hey, there's other people here. <laughs> and, you know, harmlessness means, you know, it's not about me, it's about us. It's about us, it's not about me, it's about us. And that us may be a fly, or a worm, or a, but it's about us. It's a constant usness. So it, it's, that's very important. That's what I, that's what I orientate around. Orientation is around the usness, the weeness, not around the meanness. Yeah. So this deals with other living creatures. It also deals with our, our relationships with other people. Yeah. And so this, this then this, it's a liberation. And these aren't just behaviors of rules. These are signs of liberation. The, the, the chitta has entered the realm of us. <laughs> Which is not fixed, you know, it's not just you and me, it's, it's a constant, you know, sensing orientation in the field, collective field. Because if it's not in that, where is it? You know? Because it, it, the fact is, of course, that this is not some mystical experience. 
you know, we got born because of a we. There's people around God is born. Not just your mother. There are all kinds of people got around and got it happening, you know. <laughs> and then you fed on planet Earth. We didn't ask for anything back. And we drank the water. And we, you know, so there's a constant usness about your life. You know, where you're in an environment and taking in from it, you know. And that's a, it's a natural, it's a very basic natural environment. Then, okay, like, you know, you take this thing and you take away what it's, you take away, you know, what does it do? You've got to have clothes. It's got to, that's got to come from somewhere, doesn't it? Cotton or wool or whatever. You take that. So you can't exist independently. That's what it's saying. You don't exist independently. You don't exist independently. If you think you do, then you're into you're in a delusion. <laughs> you know, and, and certainly this happens to us. We, we we do get into this, and sometimes it's extremely sad. You know, people are isolated and lost to themselves. That's very sad. You know, and then kinds of reasons can ha- that can happen. Anyway, the thing is, start, you know, the, the we-ness of existence, the codependent intersubjectivity, which starts with something that sounds kind of highfalutin, doesn't it, mystical, but it just means to others as to myself. You know, I'm sharing with 30 other people. How's that going to work? Okay, you know. And I share a room with other people. Is that mutual, cooperative, kindly? Or am I just kind of crashing around doing my thing? (laughs) Right? This is kind of very much ground level stuff. And if we're, you know, really opening up to that and, and, you know, that's that's sort of how it... And so it comes around, <coughs> and you, so you isn't just kind of following rules. It's also really getting it, and uh, you know what? Like so, this is really considered a, an attainment. So you can't just force yourself into, but you just sort of begin to experience and work with those isolationist you know, individualistic me-mind tendencies that, that arise in one's awareness. Well, this is that, that force, that energy. Understand it, we accept its presence, we don't follow it. And then, then this is kind of how you practice. So, obviously, something like the five precepts, we the feeling of, well, so what to him, you know, tell him a lie, get rid of him, he's a useless idiot anyway. No, <laughs> you know, uh, doesn't matter if you like people or not, whether you think they're worth it or deserve it, that's completely irrelevant. <laughs> because that attitude of who cares, that's your obstacle. Right? That's, the, that's an obstacle. So. 
you know, begin to release some of this. Certainly meditation helps, but it's not necessarily <laughs> a kind of give me the techniques and get me this dream entry. That's called the attachment to systems and customs. You know, see what I mean? Give me the technique, that's a system. So one of the fetters is attachment to a system. Now it doesn't mean you can't use a system, but it's the thinking that the system's going to work. No, what works is your integrity and your you know, your authenticity and your faith and your energy and your personal application to, to the hindrances that arise. No system's going to get you through it. It's how you work with it. And you can sometimes be extremely simple. Some of these kind of tayajans, they just use a word like butto. That's it. That's their meditation. You know, walk up and down the path saying butto. And just kind of putting all their heart and integrity and care and, and attention and sensitivities into just just that. You know? <laughs> What's the next stage? There isn't a next stage. <laughs> you just keep at it until the sense of self begins to, you know, till the word is saying itself, you know, or the sound is saying itself, or the sound dies away, and something's been released. I mean, you know, okay, so some people use extremely refined systems, you know, careful, attentive systems. Some people use more like devotional things. And you kind of find out what, 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 you know, what works, but essentially what works is the, your authentic practice with it. Sometimes mindfulness of breathing doesn't work for you. Doesn't mean you know, sorry, next lifetime. That's it. <laughs> it means you kind of, okay, what's happening? Well, it looks like the body isn't settled. It looks like, you know, there isn't that groundedness, so it's not ready yet. And so you've got to kind of really work on the groundedness of it. But what is always possible is, you know, it's at least the first precept. <laughs> it's possible to work with it. And let's get into the qualities of the heart. Well, they're present in that, the, the care and the conscience and the concern for the welfare of others and for the heart being, you know, malleable, flexible, open, you know, t- kindly inclined. Uh, well, then, so then, the, then there is a stream, and the stream's right there in your heart. And so you, that begins to open up. And you feel that quality of, of heartfulness uh, and presence, so it becomes something that's really unshakable. That's 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 it. When it when it becomes something, it's no matter a matter of, of thought or desire or wanting to. It should become unshakable. You know, and then, then so you, then you really something could just give itself to that. And what it doesn't mean is that it doesn't mean you don't get irritable. It doesn't mean that. No. It doesn't mean you don't have any craving or desires. No, it doesn't mean that. This is secondary. (laughs) This comes later. You don't have to be irritable to be a stream (laughs) entry. 
know, so if you can release some of that, that's good. But <laughs> at least you don't act upon it. That's the idea. <laughs> so just remember, you know, I'm saying this thing about allowing. I don't want to make it the, you know, you allow the internal. It doesn't mean you allow the external. You may feel irritable. It doesn't justify acting upon it. Well, you know, like it's, you know, that's the external. The external is... No, it's just conscience and concern for others. You know, I feel irritated. You know, okay, well, I'll, I'll recognize that and work with it, you know, as an energy. So this is kind of what we're training. Um, so, yeah, the more that one can do this absorbing into a skillful quality. So sometimes it seems so simple, you know, five precepts. Okay, well, boom, boom, give me the five precepts. Where's my, where's my stream entry? Come on. <laughs> you know, I've done it all day. I want my pay. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's not quite like that. You know, so you get get the quality, and then in the in the heart, and and it can take a while actually. Even though we do these things, and to really absorb the the, the internal quality of it, and enjoy it, and so you really love it trust it and feel totally confident in it and, oh, yeah. and seeing how this is you know when we take say the somebody's complete confidence in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha so there's a sense in you this actually is you know what the Buddhas have <laughs> well, this is what the Sangha has this is as quality and this cultivation of this this is this is true practice you know, this opening, this, you know, entering into that. So we gain confidence in it. Then the doubt disappears. The wavering and the uncertainty and the, am I good enough? And I'm only a lay person, you know, after all I'm 75, I'm kind of, I'm too so old to do it. All this, you know. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's also not just a, some people say it's a kind of sudden flash, but um, um, it doesn't seem to be that case. The Buddha said it's like a, a beach, a seashore that slopes gradually into the, you know, so you're on dry land and gradually coming in, then you get more and more, and then you are, have entered. So it said the why it's sometimes called the eight eight kinds of people. There are those who are on that slope, on that beach, definitely on the beach, definitely moving that way, haven't quite got into the water yet, or they're paddling, but they're definitely heading that way. And there's a person who actually has got past the paddling and they're starting to, to sort of, oh yeah, I'm floating this, then they've entered it. <laughs> Okay, open awareness, presence, are they the same? How do I recognize presence in myself and in others? Um, is citta who we essentially are? Well, okay, these are all just words. What are you talking about? So, is citta... <laughs> Jitta, one way of explaining is, is, 
you know, awareness, and it can be awareness that's responsive, or awareness that's gone very quiet and calm, or different, different has different ranges to it. But the fundamental uh, property is it's it's a sense of you you experience something and you know you're experiencing it. Right? You're experiencing something, and you know I'm experiencing it. Mm. What is it that knows I'm experiencing something? So that's we call that uh, awareness. You know, I'm hearing something, and I, I know I'm aware that I'm hearing something. I don't like myself, and I know I'm aware of the irritation. So we're not, you know, presence awareness is never actually absorbed into conditions in this way. So. I call it presence when it becomes so sort of consistent that it has a certain solidity to it, a certain real, not just a film of awareness, not just a kind of sort of, you know, vague recognition, but it becomes very, you've, you've kind of cultivated enough so that quality of awareness has become a recognizable feature. And then you can withdraw to it so for example you know we might be feeling a strong emotion or getting a bit excited just a minute okay now I've this is sort of a separation from the engagement doesn't mean we're ignoring it but we're no longer being stirred and activated by it so it's become a really strong presence and you can call it, is it my true self, what we really are. Um, well, it depends what we mean by we, and it depends what we mean by are, and you don't, depends what you mean by really. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a it's a, it's a fundamental um, basis, a fundamental property of of mind, jitta someone finds it difficult to stay with the breath and um, too subtle and conducive to sleepiness more conducive to sleepiness than to gratefulness I think is what it says. Times it becomes irregular and the heart starts beating faster. How can I meet this obstacle in order to be able to use it as an aid for presence? Well, establish presence first. So you just the presence of the body. You know, what that is, what is a body, it's a direct felt experience, not thought about, not drifting off, but very, you know, the ground, the feeling of, of groundedness, space around. Well, just keep using that till 
as your chitta connects to that and you keep bringing your attention back to it it becomes more regula- regulated, stabilized and you're not sleepy as if you know you hold the body upright so we use these sitting postures or walking or standing whole body spine, skin open the skin keep the eyes open open the hands and the fingertips to touch each other so you've got a light connection take a few yeah and so so you know sort of set it up properly uh, and then give it some more support okay start checking you know, is my back here shoulders both here rested steady how do I know it feel it so you sort of keep poking away with the odd question to keep tracking the presence of the body until you, you, it's really there for you then you have bodily presence and if you sense that you will sense a rhythm occurring which is the breath rhythm it may be just a little bit but it's there and until until so until you've established uh, presence of your body, then you can't really work on breathing. So walking, doing that, you know, and I sort of so breathing comes in as a as a meditation theme when it's ready. So. As I'm saying, you know, these we can get attached to these systems because certainly this is a very prominent system. Mm. But you, you know, main thing is not the system, but what you bring to it, and when you can connect to it, that's the main thing. Mm. And so, just giving yourself kind of skills skills to you know often simple very simple hands-on grounded skills just to establish presence come out of the scattered world of thought and bring yourself in and then certainly if you're getting you know sleepy or hot uh, irregular heartbeats and you know it's not ready yet So someone's also experiencing this hindrance and this person is fighting sloth and torpor and it seems to be due to a feeling of isolation, self-inflicted isolation. Well, you said it, that's what it seems to be for you, so um, hmm, that's worthy of looking into since you say You've got good family and friends and very lucky to have such good people but somehow something seems to be closing you off. Something's closing you. I get that impression like someone's got a hood, you know, covered with something. So they're feeling closed off. Um, So acknowledge that and uh, as you perhaps do some more walking 
You're walking and trying to get the sense of the skin coming alive. Now when you're doing, if you're getting sloth and torpor, then it's not the right time to be looking into calming or tranquilizing the mind. <laughs> Which is often what we think meditation is about. Yeah, well, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Mm. But this is not the time to be going internal because things aren't ready yet. So you have to go to the external, which is a little more, get a bit more, you know, it's a bit more hand, manage handleable. So we might start feel the skin, you know. From, so particularly if you're getting sleepy, just feel the skin around your eyes and and, and then moving, so suggesting moving, walking, just like you're walking through water, it's up to your chest and you're walking through, so keep your attention out to your skin, because if the sleepiness, the attention crumples inward, <laughs> the energy goes inward, and but it's no, it hasn't got anything, a core, a core presence to hold on to, so it just goes in, but there's no real core presence at that time and we think according to the you know it should be there but it isn't and so that core presence isn't arrived at through going inward or by going outward (laughs) it arises through wakefulness Sometimes energy may be low, you don't feel very full of vigor. Okay, take a few breaths, do some walking, and you can also slightly stimulate the mind, like get it to move around, like what's happening in your left knee, your right knee, chest, shoulder, just getting a little bit of action going. Stimulate it like that. All these things. And no, because this is quite a, this is a very common hindrance, very common hindrance, and you know it's partly because you know of the meditation being a calming procedure where you let, turn down the stimulation, and the stimulation turning because <laughs> it's so hooked up to external stimulation when it switch it off. Mind kind of while it goes wee or it caves in, you know. <laughs> so just using this uh, physicality to 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 um, to ground yourself. Asking about qigong. Why do you choose qigong rather than yoga asanas? I do them both. I've been doing yoga asanas for 53 years. <laughs> Qigong for 28 years. So, um, But um, obviously I feel good about both of them. But Qigong was something that somebody showed me little bits of. And I found it had an incredible benefit to my spine. I had a lot of spinal damage, some, you know, some vertebral damage in the spine. 
cracked vertebrae and discs and uh, so then all the muscles got tightened and twisted up around it and, you know, so I could only sit for about 20 minutes without this pain in my back and eventually I couldn't sit upright properly so I had to have a little support behind my back to hold me up and um, you know, then you do various things but it didn't seem to really work and then so I was doing Qigong because just t- somebody turns up the monastery showing Qigong okay I'll have a shot with that <laughs> and then doing a few things and uh, uh, it didn't seem very f- quite modest movements but then doing that and sense of space it wasn't a word for me I never thought about space but a sense of space felt space and openness and lightness I can keep doing that and then the pain in my back is not not there not so much and now and now my posture has changed I didn't realise it but my, my posture has changed and there's no pain in the back <laughs> and now you can sit for two or three hours no pain in your back yeah. and this is the energy the energy come into the body started to rebuild the body internally rebuild the way the body holds itself feed the muscles with energy I didn't do anything I just did a few of these things and energy is funny because the body knows what to do if you really ask it and respect it it starts to rebuild itself so you just okay open up and let the energy come through and it starts to do stuff and uh, so you know pretty soon after that I did no back problems no back pain so I well okay so that's why I kept doing it you know you know, so you may think I'm some kind of Qigong supremo. I'm, I'm, I've been a beginner for the last 28 years. <laughs> you know, I maybe do 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe same as yoga. I'm not, super, not some great yogi. I do half an hour. Sometimes I don't, if I'm traveling, I don't get a chance to do it. You know. But the book, what I found about Qigong, right, as opposed to yoga, if I do 10 minutes, you know, just standing somewhere, then that's it. You know, I can do it. I can do it on a plane. Sometimes I do. I go on a plane and stand in the galley like that. And I kind of, you see the, you know, the stewards kind of, oh God, walk around it. Because <laughs> it, it's so, it's so portable. I mean, you can do more anywhere. And, when you re- you know when you're wearing all this, you realise you know you're going to be. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. You. Which <laughs> only are going to give you a wide berth, or or, or just okay. You know. Whereas yoga, you know, you've got to have a bit more room, and also with this clothing, you see, it's uh, it's more difficult to do. Now, after doing Qigong for about 10 years, you know, I thought I was doing Qigong for about 10 years, because I don't want to really, you know, know what I'm doing. 
then showing it to other people, well then, you know, we can actually do it as a group, which is great. Whereas yoga, it's a bit, you know, if you've got, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to damage yourself in Qigong. But yoga, you can, you know, yoga, you can be a bit too forceful. And I'm not prepared to teach people yoga. Um, I don't have the lycra for it either. So the optimal time of day to practice, well, (laughs) it's really optimal is whenever you can force yourself to do it. (laughs) It's generally recommended, um, you know, early morning, evening, um, and then, you know, particular masters have got particular things about, you know, energies and light and sunlight and everything like that, and they say it's probably to have a little bit of something to eat before you do it not a whole heavy load but so you know you're not running on empty mm. something a little bit to eat so maybe light breakfast or something and then you might do some qigong and the evening it's nice because you know you all your energy is pretty tangled up in the day maybe and it's just you know sometimes you just just groom your energy system Sometimes it's nice to do it before you meditate. You actually begin to clean your energy system. You know, if you're going to do your sit at 7.30 or something or 8 o'clock in the evening to spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so just cleaning up energetically, then your sitting is going to be much more profitable. So someone, their the, the relative, she's, who's only 74, is entering into dementia and has been avoiding self-awareness, self-development, so forth. She's avoided that, self-awareness, self-development, suffered depression and worry. And with these um, last few years, her personality has been changing and she now has Alzheimer's. Painful to watch a person dissolving. And um, so, yeah, forgets the name of things and so on. So, comment on dementia. What is happening with the mind? And is awareness practice a remedy against it? Since sati, sati, mindfulness, is to remember... Would that help? I think that's the general drift of it. Um, well, <sighs> I think if a person has, you know, developed some self-awareness and cultivation before the dementia sets in, then it's okay. But it's difficult, you can't, it's difficult to start, you know, if you're in dementia, to actually start practicing mindfulness is going to be, I don't know, I mean, um, but I don't feel very confident that that would be possible. 
But if you have cultivated it, because the, when we see the mind, actually de- the Alzheimer's dementia is associated with the brain, you see. So certain brain functions start to, you know, not operate anymore. Cognitive faculties decline, and that's the case for most people, you know, as they're aging. You know, the brain is not so quick. There's some cognitive decline. Um, and so there's that, and Alzheimer's is not just that, it's also a definite well, disease or whatever you call it. And it's brain, you see. So um, now if, if one has cultivated to the point when the heart, jitta, and, and so forth, is you know, open and there, then brain's declining, but it doesn't mean you're going to be in depression or anxiety or worry. You won't be in, you know, because the good qualities are, are, are not just brain things. They're heart, heart qualities. And you've, if you've kind of purified the energies, that's going to be there. And if the heart has, has got the confidence as a heart quality, I mean, this is recognized, you know, this is recognized and talked about through the rational faculties, but that isn't where they arise. So generally, you know, they, as they're trying to map the process of consciousness and mind, there's a general dialogue happening between, you know, the guts, which have a strong, more big intelligence in the guts, all nerves there, and the spine, and the heart and the brain, they're all linking up, you see. So the idea of your intelligence up here, that's really outdated. Intelligence is a much more whole body thing and different, different, you know, different aspects of the body are contributing to that. Contributing to that. And the heart quality is essentially about, you know, sort of reading receptivity, you know receiving signals and then the brain faculty is much more to do with organizing and making clear patterns out of out of out of these what the heart has received so they're kind of dialoguing with each other yeah and i've looked some of these stories you read about people who have had their brains you know have an iron bar around through their person still able to function so the brain isn't Quite as, as uh, you know, the final statement about um, one's intelligence or sensitivity. And I've known people with um, you know severe senility to the point where they can't actually construct words. And they're practitioners who did cultivate purity precepts, so forth, and the rational faculties have, have kind of caved in. And they can't actually say anything. Really, say they can make sounds, you know, but it's baby talk almost. And uh, but quite happy, you know, and knowing what, and kind of sensing. So you go to visit the person. And go, oh yeah, and they say they're quite happy, and they're babbling away like a like a kid would, and they're clearly seeing you and receiving the signals and feeling good and. No, 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 they can't say anything. They just, oh, good, you know, whatever. They pick up the energy. 
they pick up the moves, they pick up the, the energies, the attention, and you know, there's no fear, no worry, no, it's none of that. So that's because they've cultivated. If you haven't cultivated, then it's much more, much more risky. You see, because you, you've got to do the work. Uh, because the heart's what the heart's always there. So you know when when your other things break down, when you're sick and dying, or your brain doesn't work, it's only your heart's going to get you through it. <laughs> That's why we cultivate it constantly. Uh, I don't just mean emotion. I mean that receptive sensitivity, awareness. They're all heart qualities. And the brain is much more associated with with formulating patterns of cognitive behaviors, clear memories, thoughts, and that can go. So long story, short is someone you someone you you know your parent, friend, whatever has these problems. Um, I have a I have a relative who has Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's disease. And so you just turn up and just, you know, try to, you know, get the energy connecting to the person. And maybe, you know, offering, you know, calming influences, calming attitudes, loving kindness and so forth to try to, you know, encourage that, which people have to some degree. We all have it, but we didn't develop it. And sometimes you're just being there, and it can. Maybe that can help. But as God's mindfulness, it's a bit late for that, really. So a person experiencing fear, how to meet feelings of fear. They mention, for example, unwanted sexual attention, feeling a bit harassed and, and um, very frightening. It's not hypothetical. Sexual assault does happen. Um, well, fear is fear, and um, whatever it's frightened of, uh, we need to again establish that core presence. You know, your ground. Um, to, so, fear is is a, is fundamentally a, a gut issue. It's where you feel it. I mean, you can certainly feel it up here, but this is the centre that organises the the fear. You know, it affects the emotions, of course. But so we've got to get that grounded in the legs, body, back, spine. You know, nice and feel very connected to the ground. You get fear, you get panic attacks. And you get panic attacks. You've got to go get your attention down your body. You know, feel. Where the stability, it's not going to occur in your thoughts, it's not going to occur in your emotions, it's not going to occur in your reactions. You know, you can't. It doesn't occur there. It occurs only through the body, finding some ground. Of course, you know, with somebody's harassing you, that's not the end of the story, by any means. But uh, um, you know, it's uh, to give you, you know, you're getting some confidence. So, childhood pain caused by father, died 30 years ago, trying to 
forgive him. I want to release these pains and forgive him. He's, he's, he died when I was nine. Um, well, wouldn't concern yourself too much about forgiving. That may come along in its own time. Um, meeting um, pain caused by my father. As I've suggested, that's probably quite a valid understanding of how that arose, but he's gone now. So the pain is now not caused by your father. The pain is sitting there um, in your heart or wherever, and we have to go right there and uh, feel the feeling. And as I was suggesting the other night, you know, you have the, the narrative, the memories, the perceptions, true enough, but that isn't going to get this, that isn't going to pull it out. Not denying that, but that doesn't get you out of it. You get down to the, the very quality of the pain, the heart feeling wounded, vulnerable, assaulted, abused, whatever, and if it, then not wanting it, and then the sense that this is where we sense whether you want it or not, nobody wants it, don't like it, obviously. That not going to help either. <laughs> so you've got to start to accept the presence of the pain in the heart, whether you you know, whether you like it or not, isn't going to do you any good. There it is. And then, what is it that's being hurt? Where is that? What is being hurt? And then you, you go to that sense of an area in your psyche or whatever that feels hurt, contracting. And you start to sense that and begin to access it. Put some energy, you know, put some energy into it. Hold it carefully. Ask it to accept the presence of pain. And it can begin to open. When the pain has a certain level of it, is no longer oppressing you. you know, so it may still be a sore point, no longer oppressing you. When the heart is open, its nature is compassionate, kindly, and so that whoever this person was, you know, you're not carrying that impression. As your heart has opened, and the open heart doesn't uh, carry old wounds. And we may think, you know, this person was obviously, like most people, confused. You know, misguided, lost balance, probably had his problems. That's that's his, you know. Be well, be well, move on. So, relational field and the experience of being a human being among human beings. So, I talked about seeing perceptions as perceptions. The relational field. Well, experience is relational. Consciousness is a relational experience. It means there's a sense of a subject experiencing an object. That's consciousness. Right. So what arises is we see something and there's a sense of being a seer. You hear something, you're a hearer. You know, so the subject arises 
with the object. The object, in fact, creates the subject. Or the relationship to the object creates the subject. Okay. So with the eyes, the visual field creates the seer, the one who's looking. Uh, yeah. Now, of course, it's not so simple as that because by and large we're seeing and the next moment we're hearing and then, of course, our mind consciousness is, is putting it all together. So I'm the thinker or I'm the knower, the one who's, you know, witnessing all these things. That's where I am. So again, it's still that, you know, division between, you know, the thinker or the knower and the known. So the relationship then is significant if it's caught up with greed, passion for the, for that which we see as an object or conceive of, then it's going to go messy. If it's caught up with passion for the one who sees, like I, I'm a, you know, I'm a really intelligent person, I know what I'm doing, you know, smart, that's going to go wrong. <laughs> so we're trying to find the balance where there isn't this passion for the self or for the object, including the passion of aversion. That's still a passion. You know, where we go. So these are negative relational influences. So we want the relational field to be free from these clinging to the subject or the object. Um, So this means we're sort of, okay, being affected, being affected, feeling interested, not liking. You know, this is the stuff that we start to handle, not the object or the subject, but the relationship. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the object, you can't, what can you do about that? And particularly so, yeah, and the subject, what can you do about that? But what you can do is the relationship. You can do experiencing fear or worry about that. Well, let's work with that. Let's actually handle that. Let's open to that. And in that process of working with the relationship, you know, there certainly seems to be somebody doing it, but, you know, the subject is no longer so fixed, it's kind of sensitive, responsive, flowing, able to change its attitude, perceptions, you know, its, its ways of approaching things. So there's a sense of a self, you could say there's a sense of a self, it becomes much more dynamic and fluid, it's not fixed. And so this is very much on the path to our freedom from this fixed personal self. So it becomes subjectivity is there. Certainly there's a subjectivity and the subjectivity, but it's not a solid entity who's got a fixed position. Not got a fixed position. So it's, it's, it's much more interested in relationship than being right or wrong. <laughs> the relationship is harmonious where there's no longer stress. Now this becomes even more very poignant and very significant when it comes to the experience we call other people, in which many questions are involved with this very experience. 
There are quite a few more that I didn't bring to the table today. And I'm sure, you know, any, any of us had a, we would all find we have problems with other people. We worry about them. We feel we've lost them. You know, we feel sorry. We feel, you know, whatever. They don't understand me, you know. Yeah, pain, pain, isn't it? Wretched is a lot of humans. <laughs> but of course, you know, we also get very happy with other beings and delighted and enriched. So it's good stuff. Uh, because it's, um, then the relational, because the energies are then flowing and, and, you know, it's the nature of the heart is to be relational. That's what it does. <laughs> That's its function. Brain's function isn't that. The brain is to organize bits. The heart is to keep sweeping out what's going on. I don't feel about that. That's what it does. So if you, you know, if you don't want a relationship, have a heart operation. <laughs> Otherwise, what happens is you form a relationship with your ideas. Oh, the right idea, this is great. Or your relationship with yourself, which gets very narcissistic, as we can notice in, you know, people called them egomaniacs, you know, because it's only me. I've got a strong relationship with themselves. <laughs> so, because that's what it does. So, so let's, it's going to happen anyway, so let's sort of work on it, you know. Uh, Really, and so it doesn't doesn't even mean we kind of become great, you know, close friends. But we begin to acknowledge, a bit nervous, a bit misunderstood, or or nobody likes me, or what's happening here? And oh, really, she looks great. I like to be with her. Oh, these fluctuations happening in the field, and it's just open to that. Then maintain presence with that, sense that, mm. own the energy of that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And uh, to me, fundamental, you know, the whole daily life thing with people is first of all, first thing is respect. Which means you can be who you are. I'm not asking you. You can be who you are, or how I see you. I'm not going to kind of dismiss that or try and tweak it. Just be, just be who you are. Now it's going to change, but again, and then allow me to be what I am, how I am now. Then we got a relationship. It's steady. That's established. If that's established, you know, and me pretty much, once that's properly established, you start feeling warm with each other. You start feeling friendly. Because, you know, I'm allowed to be who I am right now in your presence and you're not doing some number on me. You're not trying to tweak me or change me. Then now you start to warm up. That's what happens. And if you get it that way around, respect has to be there and sometimes we 
we don't really agree, but that's okay. You know? So it's not about we've got to get nice and warm first. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but respect is a standard. And of course then that with respect it means we maintain our core presence and I want you to maintain your core presence. I don't want you to try to be something to please me. I don't want you to be doing something you think will please me. I'm not, I don't want to be pleased. I want you to be authentic. <laughs> then I know what I'm dealing with, you know. I know what I'm dealing with, I'll work with it, you know. <laughs> but I want something authentic. I can bounce off, ping off, you know, and I might learn a few things about my, my attitudes. Until we get those core presences honoured, then we don't know, you know, we can't work it out. So it's pretty important because this way, you know, the presence of other people encourages us to be ourselves. Not in an egotistical way, but an authentic way. You know? Then you get, in, then because you, when you, that's possible. Then yeah, now we do feel that kalyanamita quality, which is so uh, spiritual friendship, then which is so important for uh, a support for practice. In fact, the Buddha said it's one of the essential supports for stream entry. There you go. <laughs> so it's it's significant. And we may see each other as obviously we start with a perception of you. Okay, I know that's a perception of you, so okay. And then maybe you could say I see you this way or whatever. Let me just start. Correct me, you know. Correct me. And you see me this way. Well, let's just correct each other. Not, not quite. You know. So that, then that's, uh, you know, to understand the nature of perception. And projection. So again, this is not just about having some friends, it's also about understanding the nature of perception, projection, you know, I want you to fulfill me, <laughs> I want you to be something, you know, we can sense that, or I feel frightened of you, or nervous, or intimidated, or I think I need to sort you out, or I feel responsible for you. You know, these things that the, the mind does in, in relationship. You think, wow. Yes. Put a pause on all that. Because there's all the, all the, all the kind of flurry of nervous energy that happens when we start to sense another being. And all these things, how, am I going to be okay? You know, is it going to work? Um, what do you think about me? Am I doing the right thing? Oof. Okay, <laughs> just get present with that lot <laughs> and hold your presence, cool, cool down, and open into a quality of, well, whatever it is, let's just generate some goodwill. That's a good start. 
and you know, so you, then you're not just making a friend externally, you're also clearing your own projecting stuff and your own perceptual stuff. Yeah. Okay, that's the last one. Difference between Sankara and latent tendencies in Anuttara. Sankara is the general word for kind of this vroom activations that occur in the body, occur in the heart, occur in thinking. Vroom, trig, you know, sort of activation. Start, stuff starts moving around. Anuttara is generally not active. It's it's late. It's called latent. It's it's a potential. It's a potency. Potential of potency. So it's, it hasn't activated yet, and then it gets triggered, and the sankara erupts from it. And that erupting is called asava, flood, rush, flowing. So, simply speaking, a is a tendency, dormant or latent, and a sankara. It's when you trigger it, and boom, this energy starts moving. Uh, this distinct piece to learn is that maybe you're not being triggered, so you think everything's fine, but it doesn't mean the inutsaya, the latent tendencies, have been removed. So we often have to keep, you know, checking things out, testing ourselves. You know, what happens when I don't get, I'm fine when I get my own way? Oh, that doesn't mean <laughs> anything really. <laughs> What's happened when you don't get your way? What happens when you're challenged? What happens when, you know, then you start to see that the Nutsa get triggered? You get into the me stuff starts happening again. The poor me or the I need or whatever. The latent tendency for identification has not been removed. Mm. Yeah. But if when you find in situations where, and certainly in forest monasteries, there's certainly plenty of triggering stuff for that, because it's just not fair. It's just not fair. I don't see why I should be getting up at three in the morning. It's not fair. It's not right. Why do you need this? Get up. I don't see why I should have to. Sankara triggered, you know. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> it's to push your buttons. That's why we do it. <laughs> and I really, I, you know, I like to meditate on my own. It's nice and quiet. So, okay, go in that hall with 50 other people. So generally, you know, if you live with Ajahn Shah, you keep your mouth shut because if he finds out you've got a weak spot, he aims for it. <laughs> if you like to be alone, you go and meditate with people. If you like to be and meditate with people, you go on, on your own. <laughs> and so uh, it's not fair. <laughs> the I am voice starts chirping away. Yeah. There's lots of stories like that. No. No. Not fair. <laughs> so you often 
they'd have these work periods, you know, there's only a big work thing going on, sweeping stuff, and sometimes not even very useful work, just sweeping stuff or putting things away. And then I imagine Samedo saying when he was there, he'd like, I came here to meditate, I can't meditate. And so we talked to Ajahn John, and John said, okay, so I told everybody, Oh, you know, Samedo, he can't meditate here. And they all just said laughing. <laughs> so he doesn't have to do any work because he, he needs to meditate. So he doesn't have to do any work. Unlike the rest of us who will do some work, you don't have to do any work. You can you can meditate. And he thought, oh, God. You know, oh. Go out and do some work like everybody else and just, you know. <laughs> Just be mindful of it. Uh, so these, because these are, yeah, you know, if you're really, really, really determined, <laughs> determined, you want to find out these latent tendencies because they don't, you don't know them, and generally our life is is based upon avoiding, avoiding the bits where we don't feel so good. We don't feel comfortable. We think we want to have it the way we want it to be. We feel better, healthier, whatever. And you want to just what's happened? But you can't guarantee that someday you will not be able to get your way. You will have pain. You'll be stuck in an airport at three in the morning with kinds of crazy people. You know, all kinds of things can happen. So you know, so. You, while you've got the energy and some strength, just keep checking yourself and look at those I am tendencies. Um, this is because that's what you want us to get free of. Um, and if you're really interested, you think, okay, okay, I'll take it, you know, because I really had enough of this sangsaric runaround. So, you know, certainly in that kind of what we call the Kamatana tradition, it's, there's a certain amount of austerity to it. Uh, people take an austere practices, just uh, not very pleasant, not very nice. Somebody's asking about sitter's practice, sitting up all night for months, you know, so you never lie down, I've done that, and so on. But I'm not advocating it. I think that's one of the reasons I have back problems. <laughs> Because it's not about just external things. A lot of the challenge is just uh, living communities are very challenging. They're very challenging on the I am senses. Very challenging. Mm. Yeah. Mm. On all kinds of levels. And sure, you know, I'm sure you know, that just being here as a group, sure has its tough times, tough spots um, and so and clearly we do have the boundaries around behaviour really make an effort it's we that counts it's the we that counts you know, look after each other be respectful generous restrained considerate towards each other you know, sometimes you feel not so happy with this person but Externally, have a certain standards, follow that, 
and then just work with the feeling of you know, I need more, I don't want this, I don't want that, you know, just work with that. This is what we have. We have the food, shelter, thank you very much, Bjattenberg, food, shelter, and um, place to do Dhamma practice. It's good, life's good. <laughs> but it's not fair. <laughs> Okay.